welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have John Jasniak with me here tonight, and we are going to be talking about everything land flipping. So you can learn for what John and what his team is up to by going to johnjasniak.com slash land. I'm going to make sure that is a clickable link in the show notes, but you can also find him on all the socials with his name, John Jasniak. So John, I appreciate your time here tonight. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jack. I'm excited to chat about land here. So I got to ask, land flipping is kind of a niche thing. How did you find your way to it? Yeah, man, it is kind of a niche thing, but it's growing rapidly. I found out about it on a podcast similar to this. So like someone like myself who was teaching and doing it came on the Side Hustle Show with the with Nick Loper. It's a pretty pretty old podcast, just like yourself. Been running quite a while now. And one of the episodes, a guy came on and started talking about the business, kind of pitched his course, his book. And I was like, you know, the passive income and possibilities here that he's talking about seem really awesome. And I'm going to dive into this more. And so I ended up buying his course and bought another course as well. And shortly thereafter, I was making my first land purchase. That would have been late 2016 now. And it just, it's snowballed from there, I guess. Seems like yesterday, honestly, though. You know, when you first start off in any kind of real estate investing endeavor, sometimes these episodes, you know, whether it's on a podcast or, or clips you see on YouTube, it almost sounds a little too good to be true. Like, what are some of the things that you had to work through in order to make yourself comfortable with doing going through the process? Well, there's a whole capital thing, right? Startup capital. How? Uh, where are you going to work? Like, where are you going to buy land? Where are you going to buy real estate? Like, how do you actually form a company and put systems in place? At that point, I had never formed an LLC. I'd never owned a business, and so you know, all those things are are things you figure out going along and the internet makes it easy nowadays, whether it's Upwork or Fiverr or whatever. I mean, you can find someone who has knowledge and help you out in anything, whether it's someone to set you up a quick EIN or LLC for a business or an attorney or or whatever you need. So just rookie business owner things and problems. I think now, you know, business is problems, right? It's problem solving. So it's like problems every single day. So you, as a business owner, you figure them out. Yeah. It seems to be the case when it comes to any kind of real estate investing endeavor. I buy a lot of distressed houses and you're really just solving problems for people. Yeah. And the more problems you can solve and the bigger problems you can solve, typically the more money you make. Right. So could you kind of break down what your concept is here regarding your land flipping? Sometimes it's a little different for everybody. Yeah. Well, nowadays I'm pretty big into subdividing. So I do these big subdivide projects. I like to buy them with seller financing. We do wraparound notes and I'll actually sell them with owner financing. So I'm kind of leveraging the sellers as a bank, breaking down the parcels, creating value by subdividing the lot. And then I'll turn around and sell it for anything like that. It's straight to Joe Schmo person in the city wants to move outside the city. I think from a high level land flipping as a whole especially as a beginner, it's going in, identifying a piece of land that's undervalued, probably outside the city, 
sometimes even like in the desert, but certainly outside the city. Although you could do infill lots and stuff inside the city as well, but you know, we'll keep it easy outside the city limits, buy a piece of land at 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar, turn around and sell it as quickly as possible, whether it's for cash or on owner financing. So collecting monthly payments for, you know, double or triple what you paid for it. That's kind of a high level. Right. Are you finding that your the the strategy that you found your way to is one of the easiest to to do this type of strategy? Or because I've run into a lot of people who will do this to a certain extent, they they buy farmland and then they will lease it out to 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 the local farmers. Yeah. So what you're talking about with farmland and everything, there's of course with anything in real estate, any there's niches of niches, right? So there's multiple different things you could do with land. Subdividing, I would say, is probably the more complex rendition of land investing because you're dealing with local counties, state code, you know, getting contractors involved, such as surveyors, sometimes water drillers, water municipalities to run water lines, etc. But subdividing is the most scalable part of this business. If you want to build a multi seven figure business or even eight figure business, you're going to want to start subdividing. Now for the average beginner, I would never recommend doing a subdivide as your first deal. Go out, start small. That's what I always tell people. Start small, you know, whether it's five, ten, twenty thousand dollars, go out and buy a piece of land. Use other people's money if you can. There's plenty of people out there who will fund land. There's a lot of good Facebook groups for that. Go out, find yourself a, a small little, you know, whether it's 5, 10, 20 acres, or even one acre, whatever, 5, 10 Gs, buy it, turn around, sell it for more. Do a few of those and you know start working your way up to bigger, bigger deals. And then hopefully, eventually, you end up doing more complex stuff like subdividing, scaling the business. Yeah. So that's, that's good advice regarding any of this real estate investing game. Mm-hmm. No, I would agree. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure you would agree. You don't want to go out and you know buy a distressed house for a million dollars on your first deal. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, especially if you're going to flip them, yeah, start off with smaller projects and you work your way up too. Because I've seen too many people who get into the flipping business early. The first project, it's it's insurmountable, and now they're it costs way more and takes way more time than they anticipated. Yeah. And with experience, when you build the experience, things tend to come a whole lot easier. So you don't know what you don't know and you got to start small. Right. So what markets are you in and how do you evaluate which markets you want to pursue? I love Texas. That's where I live. That's where most of my projects are. Some folks that I teach and consult and stuff, we're doing it kind of all over the country, Virginia, Michigan, Florida, Colorado, etc. But me, mostly Texas. I do a lot in Central and West Texas. <clears throat> but you know, I, I love Texas because the economy is is great. As far as like breaking it down further than that, if you're outside of a municipality, any decent sized metropolis, anywhere from you know fifty to fifty thousand people to multi millions, anywhere twenty thirty minutes outside of the city there's a huge market because what I'm seeing right now is the demand for land is the highest it's ever been. We're getting a lot of folks who want to move outside the city. And what's really popular is land with little to no restrictions so that they can go put a mobile home on it. They can do a, a nice barn dough or you know, a tiny house or some sort of alternative living. And if they really want, they can go build a, a nice, beautiful site-built home out there. So that's kind of the the market now, especially with, you know, it's crazy out here nowadays, man, whether it's 
pandemics or the economy or political unrest or whatever it is, it's like people want to have a little slice of their own land. It's kind of, to me, I think of it as like the the new American dream is kind of owning your own chunk of land. Hmm. That actually kind of surprises me that some of the trends you're seeing, you know, typically we're seeing more and more people moving to the cities, but it's, it, I can kind of see what you're saying with, with all of the unrest, whether it's the lockdowns and everything else that has gone on, that yep. people want to move out of those centralized areas like that. Yeah. And I think the population is obviously growing. They're not making any more land. You're going to have folks, of course, who want to move to the city, and then there's going to be plenty of folks who want to move outside the city. So that's what's beautiful about real estate, man, is whether you're doing houses like yourself or you're doing Airbnbs or multifamily or land. It's like there's just so much opportunity everywhere. It's like, I don't know, it's crazy. I was looking at a graph the other day that land prices over the last five to 10 years have like bare minimum doubled in some cases, you know, like Austin, Texas, and some of these other crazy markets like 5, 10x what they were 10 years ago. So it's it's just insane amount of opportunity out there. So what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced in scaling your business at this point? <laughs> now it seems like accounting, record keeping, and taxes. It's like when you start building a sizable business, start really making money, you need to have the systems in place to scale, right? And then you're starting to worry about all oh, making money. What am I going to do with it to avoid paying tax? But when I was first starting off, and I think for any beginner, really, it's going to be capital. I've never really had a problem with deal flow. It's always been a capital problem. So, I mean, I I, I tell people like finding the deal is actually kind of the the easy part. There's a lot of deals out there, but having the money to do them is probably not as reasonable for a lot of people. So what do you need to do? You need to find people who have money and can help you complete projects. So that's something that I'm dealing with still is, you know, raising capital, working with investors. Kind of the next step for me, I think, is probably to start some sort of fund or kind of GPLP setup where I can start doing more and more bigger deals. But, you know, capital is always the crunch, I feel like, as we can all relate to, I'm sure, in real estate. You know, that's one of those myths that seems to constantly get busted on this show is the concept that find the deal and the money will come. Yeah. Well, if you do have a deal, there's plenty of people out there who you can pitch it to. But what I always see is it's it's rare that I find someone who comes to me and is like, I have $100,000 to invest or I have a million dollars to invest in a piece of land. A lot of folks want to know how they can find money and raise money to do their projects, which you know, I, I think nowadays it's probably become easier, especially since the government keeps printing it and handing it out like like hotcakes. So it's like, unfortunately, the interest rates are rising, but there's still plenty of private money, I think, out there to be had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always pushed the concept that you you almost need to be building and, and networking as hard as you are finding that next property. And that needs to be efforts equal on both avenues. Yeah. What do you think? I think networking is probably way more important than finding deals. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Which is crazy because we're talking about real estate and everyone would think, oh, fine. You know, we're talking about real estate. We're talking about deals, but really it's almost a networking game. And it and it's not a show up once, pitch yourself and not show up there again. It's a consistent, yeah. persistent, be in front of the same people over and over again. Yes, sir. And if it was, think of it was that easy, 
do it once and that's it. I think everyone would be doing it and making a billion dollars, but that's not the case. As we know, there's <laughs> much determination, persistence, blood, sweat, and tears involved if you want to really do big things. It's it's one of those things when when it comes to anybody that comes on the show. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the successes, but it's it's kind of hard to even communicate sometimes the amount of effort and work that has led up to this point. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I was talking to some folks today and I was like, look, guys, you're literally trying to create, you know, 500,000 to a million dollars in value and in profit on this land deal. It's like, I understand maybe some of you get frustrated. You need to make a bunch of calls. You need to keep pushing, you know, all that stuff. It's like, this is not a get rich quick scheme here, which I think some folks tend to think real estate, oh, I'm going to go and flip this deal and make a million bucks. It's You can do that for sure. But really, this is not get rich quick and there's actual effort and work involved. Right. So just to remind everybody, it is johnjazniak.com slash land. I'm going to make sure that link is clickable in the show notes. But if you found any value in what John has mentioned so far, can you do us a quick favor and share it with one of your investor friends? So, John, can you talk a little bit about the note side of things that you were talking about just a second ago? How do you wrap a note and and turn this into a bit of more of a passive game? Sure. Let's, I guess, start at the highest level. Is like, okay, what is cash flow and a note on a piece of land? I originate all my own notes. Basically, I'd love passive income, probably 80 to 90% of my sales are owner financed. So what I'm doing is buying a piece of land, either free and clear with my money, or I'm buying it financing with either the seller holding the note. So I'll go in and offer a landowner 5, 10, 20% down, and then I'll pay them out over a, a period of time, usually five to 10 years. Alternatively, sometimes I actually bring in private guys. I've been doing a lot of this here recently. Sometimes these sellers like, no, I don't want to seller finance you. So I say, okay, this deal is so good. I want to go find some private money. So I'll find you know an investor to pay the seller 500 grand. And then I'll carry the note with, uh, or the, the investor will carry the note for me. And so I'll pay the investor the 500 grand out over five to 10 years. And so now I have the piece of land controlled and I've actually bought it. It's in my name recorded at the county clerk's office, usually with a deed of trust. And, you know, we have a promissory note to secure the asset and spells out the terms of the of the deal, how much I'm paying either the seller or the investor monthly. So I'm paying on this piece of land or I own it free and clear. Now I turn around and sell it. And so a lot of times I do these sales, like I said, 80 to 90% of them are on owner financing. So I go find a buyer and I like to keep my down payments pretty small, actually. It's usually under 5% down, sometimes only 1% or 2% down. So, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 down, and then 500 to 1,500 per month over 60 to 120 months, depends on the piece of land. So, you know, I'm originating these notes for 50, 60,000. And if there's an underlying lien on the property, either the seller or a private guy who I'm paying on the property, we create what's called a wraparound note. So we're wrapping that second lien into the first one. And so we're kind of, I'm paying my seller, call it X amount per month, five grand per month, but all my buyers are probably paying me 15, 20 grand per month. And, you know, I'm using those gross funds basically to pay the seller and 
obviously make the net return in between. That's kind of my go-to strategy nowadays. My minimum target I'm aiming for there is to like at least double the payment I'm paying my seller. So I'm paying the seller five grand a month for a hundred acres. And I went in, created 10, 10 acre lots and sold it off. I'm aiming to get at least double the amount of payments from all my buyers. And that's kind of bare minimum. And so I, I mean, shoot, who doesn't like passive income, right? I like kind of sitting on my butt and the hard part is keeping track of it all. We use a, you know, loan management software. I manage all my own notes. They're pretty doing pretty good. They're performing pretty well right now. I only have two people who haven't paid and there's like 120 notes. I think we have in the system right now. So right now it's running pretty smooth, but there's times where folks don't pay and now you're running a collections game. Right. What kind of software or what are you using to manage that then? So I like to use the mortgage office. It's called funny. I just was on a call with them today. I'm not affiliated or anything with them, but it's a great software. It's what a lot of the big boys use to track their notes. And there's plenty of other note management softwares out there like your geek pays and a couple other, these land guys have their own proprietary note softwares and management systems that they kind of pitch. And some of them will let you take monthly payments within the system. We use ACH processors to collect payments monthly and kind of hooks up to the system and keeps track of it all and ticks them off as paid and updates their ammo chart as as they go along. Okay. So earlier you mentioned you're starting to search for ways or maybe you've done this now to limit or minimize the taxes you pay. What What strategies have you found to do that? Well, with land, unfortunately, there's not great tax strategies. And this is what I kind of always tell people. You can't depreciate land, obviously. And so I think a lot of real estate investors and, and folks are attracted to real estate because of the tax advantages. But when they come into it, oftentimes they don't have that much capital that they're making to even really reap any tax advantages. So for the average person, that's why I'm like, look, land flipping is perfect for you because in my experience, the pure returns, the yield, the IRR of land flipping, land investing, land subdividing, whatever you're doing are some of the highest, if not the highest in real estate. So go out, make a bunch of money, make sky high returns in land. And then when you're making a crap load of money, figure out, okay, now what can I do to minimize taxes? Because I'm not going to sit here and say land has great tax advantages. I haven't found great tax loopholes in the land game yet. And I've spent tens of thousands of attorneys, CPAs, et cetera. So what can you do? You can invest in storage, multifamily. I have my little town in West Texas. I bought Cornutus. We're going to put solar on there. There's crazy, you know, the 30% solar tax credit. So solar is a great avenue. You can, the IRS is kind of phasing this out. But last year I bought the super expensive Jeep and so, you know, a 6,000 pound plus vehicle and I ride around in that for my land business. So that's a great tax benefit right there. But, you know, I just wired actually today six figures for a storage deal. So I'm investing in some storage, multifamily, oil and gas. A lot of those have great tax advantages to them where you can write off your capital invested. Unfortunately, land doesn't have that, but go make a bunch of money and then figure out how to save in taxes. If you're trying to save taxes on 10,000 bucks, I mean, use that 10K and turn it into a hundred or a million and then go invest in some storage facilities or whatever, because they're not going to pay you as much as land will. Mm -hmm. So you let the, a little thing there drop. You bought a town. 
I was going to get to yeah. that. What What is the story there? Yeah, so a small little town in West Texas in Hudspeth County, uh, where I actually did my first land deal out there. It's called Cornutus, Texas. It's 28 acres, cafe, motel, three mobile homes, six-spot RV park. And we sell some gas out there as well. It's got a little little gas pump. And so, I don't know, I found it found it online one day. They had it listed on Facebook for a lot more than what I paid for it. And, you know, I was like, man, I really want to buy it, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Like, how am I actually going to pull this off? And come, you know, late 2022, several months I went by, I was like, you know, I think I really want to do this because just the post itself, man, had like thousands of likes on Facebook. And I was surprised it hadn't sold by then, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, own a town, whatever. It was blowing up. So, and I did one reel on it on Instagram and it got organically over a million and a half views on that thing and went viral. So just the amount of attention of attention it brings and everything is kind of off the charts. And it is kind of, it's a great, was a great, is a great tax strategy because of all the stuff I'm doing to it, such as the solar coming and everything like that for the tax benefits to it. But it's going to be a solid little business that'll make some money. It's not, it's not, that scalable because of the location and everything, but you know, it, it'll be a multi multi-million dollar business one day. It's not going to be like a hundred million dollar thing, but it'll, it'll generate some decent cash flow from the cafe and lodging and stuff like that. That's interesting. But now you have, you own a, a town and now there's going to be employees to man mm-hmm. all of these, these facilities there. Yes. That's, are you getting help there? Or you Talk about your business and how you're scaling to handle some of this. Yeah, and this is kind of a good route to go down, I think, in, in general with the employees and everything. I think a lot of people right now are fascinated with AI and VAs and all that stuff. I actually have a pretty small team. It's me. I have one full-time employee, ops manager, Brian, and I basically have a full-time bookkeeper. I mean, he's 1099, but he's basically full-time. So basically two full-time employees, a fractional CFO, and an attorney. And so I kind of, a mentor once told me like, focus, you're trying to bench press like 500 pounds. Like this is your business. Find yourself one or two really good spotters who can stand along either side and help you lift that bar up and and get the weight up. And so that's kind of my focus is building a team of, I like full time. So that way I can control them and train them and I'm not worried about some VA or something in, in the Philippines. I know a lot of people do that in real estate and they're having success, but the amount of value this full-time people bring me are just off the charts. I think you really get what you pay for in employees. So if you're in a position where you're making money and can afford it all day, I would recommend hiring someone in the same town as you so you can meet in person from time to time and brainstorm and actually get stuff done. Now, as far as the town goes, I have two part-time employees out there right now who help me when because I'm not there all the time. So we're still in the process of kind of getting it up and running. And so it's, you know, a lot of handyman work, a lot of manual labor. So there's two folks out there right now. It'll probably eventually be four or five people, basically full-time people out there working and managing the whole thing. And, you know, so it, it will be its own small little team in and of itself. It's it's an unincorporated town, so it doesn't have like any municipality or local government or sheriffs or anything like that. But I could theoretically blow it up to make it a corporated town if I'd started buying land around it and doing little home sites and stuff. So there's a lot of potential there. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things, thinking outside of the box and making something work, being open to opportunity. 
Yeah. And if I'm being honest, it was more of a marketing and branding thing for me. That was like the main draw of it is like, oh, I can own a town. And, you know, kind of my goal is to be the the most well-respected go-to person in the land space, like that Grant Cardone or, you know, Gary Vee or Elon Musk of land. That's kind of my, my goal. So I was like, what better thing could I do than buy a town? So that's kind of what I, my mindset going into it. And I, I don't think enough people a lot of people don't like social media, especially real estate folks. I see a lot of realtors and brokers and stuff are not very good with social media. It's, I think it's fine not to like it, but to not have knowledge and know how to use it, you're really missing out on a lot of opportunity for your business. I think it's even just some basic knowledge of marketing and branding and kind of how to make a viral post and, you know, how should I be looking at the camera and talking and all that stuff is can go a long way towards helping you not only sell real estate, but the amount of deals and networking that comes from my social media is kind of off the charts as, as well. Have you, what other lessons have you learned from those, those individuals? You said, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk and and the like, and you're trying to be that person in the land. What are some of those other tactics or strategies you've been trying to emulate? So my, my two favorite probably really are Grant Cardone and Ty Lopez. Obviously they are marketing and, and branding gurus. And I've had the, I guess, honor and pleasure of meeting both of those guys and and getting to know them at least a little bit. And so there is so much to be learned as far as like marketing and especially video marketing in, in real estate. Not enough people know how to market and how to get behind a camera, how to talk, how to create a landing page. What do you have above the fold? Do you want a video or a picture? What performs better? Short video versus long video you know, how to run a Facebook ad, just simple Facebook ad ads manager skills. Basically the best thing you can do for marketing and advertising, especially in real estate is just experiment a bunch. I was looking at my ads manager the other day for Facebook over the last five years. It's gotten to about $200,000 I've spent just in Facebook ads, just in real estate alone selling my land. And so we'll test, you know, does a picture of the land perform better than a video of the land does a picture of the land with text over it like only 500 a month perform better than just a picture of the land and so we're always experimenting and kind of finding what works best and i really like what grant says and kind of his philosophy especially when he was starting off is it wasn't perfect it's really hard to get your ads completely optimized but it's really beneficial to spend on yourself and spend on marketing because just the attention that you generate alone. I mean, that's probably how I got on your podcast, for instance, and how I get on some podcasts and do all this different stuff is just, you know, spending on, on marketing and getting, getting yourself out there. It has power to it. And I guess all money spent on ads can be viewed as good money spent on ads in a way. Well, some of that stuff that you're talking about is actually another mindset thing, especially in the real estate end in market. I run into a lot of people who wouldn't spend that that type of money and effort on Facebook ads because they see it see it as an expense instead of an yeah. investment. It's it's obvious that you see it as an investment. Yeah, it's a good point. And funny story, real quick. The other day, actually, I was looking at buying a piece of land out in West Texas. It's 300 acres, and I like to do what I call demand tests. So I create up a little test for 40 acre pieces at this location to see if they will sell at a designated price. So that way I know I can go buy the 300 and make a bunch of money. So I start this Facebook test on 40 acres. I do a little geo target to area and the broker who I was talking with a little bit on this 300 acres 
sends me a text. He's like, I saw your sponsored ad. Please take it down. If you want to make a deal, get with me. Let's make a deal. And I was like, okay, yeah, I took it down. I was just running a test and I told him it was like funny because if you actually have this under contract and are trying to sell it, you should be wanting me to run more ads because I'm actually sending leads your way, which I was. I was getting people hit me up. And I was like, contact Brody, contact Brody on this listing. Here's the listing. And so I was actually sending this dude leads and he told me to stop the ads. I was like, all right, I'll stop the ads. But why not? If I was him, I would have asked me to spend more ads, send him more leads. He wasn't doing it. You know, that's interesting. I reread the four hour work week recently. And that was one of the things that that's brought into detail there, testing, testing the market like that. That's that's kind of where I got it. I wasn't I'm not sure if I had that brainstorm from the four hour work week or if that was like I saw from a conference that one of these influencers were doing or something. But I was like, man, all these folks do it for e-com, right? Like they'll do a little test landing page on a test product. And I had this brainstorm a few years back. I was like, why don't I just do that for land? And so, I mean, that's what we do on every time we go into a new market or with a big subdivide. I actually have one that I'm probably about to cook up here tonight for a property out near Houston. I'm trying to look at this 450 acre piece and make 45, 10 acre lots. So I'm going to fire up a little demand test for like 2000 down and a thousand per month for 120 months for 10 acres out there and see if it'll draw some attention. Hmm. That's interesting strategy. Something everybody should make note of just to remind everybody again, it is John slash land that this has been a great conversation, John. And bef- but before I let you go, I'd like to throw some rapid fire questions at you. Let's do it. What is a lie all real estate investors tell themselves and maybe to others? I think passive income. They think that income can truly be passive. There's really no such thing, I think, as real passive income. It's going to take always take some work to manage and build and all that stuff. So there's kind of an allure of passive income being completely passive. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? My favorite book, I think, for real estate is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Just the cognitive biases and kind of how it relates to economics and sales and marketing. Whether it's in your business or personal, what is one tool you can't live without? Ooh, I would say my phone, but that's kind of too basic. I'm going to go with this loan calculator I have on my phone. Everyone should get familiar with how to mess with a loan calculator. And you need one that allows you to fix different inputs like interest rate, principal, monthly payments that you can toggle and quickly get answers on the unsolved values. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Start reading books sooner. I didn't read my first kind of business or entrepreneur related book until I actually graduated college at like 22, which is kind of crazy. So I hope it wasn't the first book you read, period. You're in, uh, you're in no, I think I was always a pretty good reader and I would only read what they made us read in school. But then when I actually started finding stuff that interested me, it's like then the whole game changed. So we're always con- we're constantly fighting analysis paralysis and trying to keep get people off the bench and into the real estate investing game. Can you give everybody within 60 seconds a tip or trick? to get get into the game and make some immediate action, whether it's in their business or just getting started? Man, that's a good question. You certainly have to start small. So I think you need to look at all of the different avenues of real estate, a bunch of free stuff. YouTube's a great source. Find which one most 
interests you, whether it's land, Airbnb, houses, single family, multifamily, whatever. And then what you should do is you could should go find a really cheap course on one of those things. Because when you spend a little money, like a hundred bucks or something even smaller, when you spend a little money, now you're invested. And so spend on a small little course and get, do a deep dive on like one of those facets of real estate. And then once you feel that you're confident enough and competent enough to actually buy something, go out and buy a really small deal or start looking at really small deals just to get your feet wet. Because then once you own something, now you're really invested and you actually are a property owner, landowner, whatever. And if you can't afford to do it yourself, find someone to partner with and try to get like a small little amount of equity. Just do like an equity split with them. You contribute one, five, 10%, whatever, and they can contribute 90% plus or, or whatever and even help you on the deal. Well, John, is there a thought or question you wish we would have covered here today? No, man. I think this was a, a really good podcast. We went and got some, I think, provided some real value for for the listeners. I just, I want anyone who wants to hit me up, either DM or email. You can just find me any social media, John Jasnick. I, will, I answer all my DMs and all my emails and everything. So like if it's land related or anything else, like I want folks to just hit me up and I just love interacting with people. And mostly I like looking at deals, so like especially if you got like a land deal or something like I'm probably not going to buy it. I'm, pro- I'm definitely not going to fund it, but I will give you full feedback analysis. I don't know. I'm kind of a nerd about looking at land. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I'll make sure to have all of those links in the show notes. Really appreciate your time, John. This was great. Yeah, Jack. Thank you so much. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.